0: everyone to Treading Lightly episode 6 and this, we just made this one a special episode, didn't we Mon? Yeah, yeah. So today we have Dean and Naomi Dampney and these guys tell an amazing story. Um, they were in the direct line of the bush bushfires that recently uh, came through so they, they give their account of what happened and um, I think there's a lot we can uh, definitely get from it and, and gather from it.
1: yeah. Yeah, it was a really great one for me, I know, because um, being on this side of the fires and working alongside some of the front line and my husband being in the front line Mm. who was out there and had our own ideas of how people react in these situations, but... Um, Yeah, we can't possibly begin to understand sometimes what it would be like and why people make the decisions they do. So this is a really good insight into maybe some of that.
0: Mm, Absolutely. All right, without further ado, on with the show. Oh, God, that sounds so weird. Who
2: can remember remember the conversation we're having leading up until Um, the weirdness? It was about...
1: um, Morrison Lee.
2: Right. I was semi lost at the time anyway, but I like the concept of <laughs> the young cardiac nurse, you know, just coming into his own. It sounds amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was In the ICU. So inspiring. And he, his message was um, something along the lines of even though some things are scary or some things are good, um, he's so glad he did it anyway. Mm
2: wow it sounds like a pretty good i don't want to take your role away here dean but i was just gonna say (laughs) it it. (laughs) it sounds like a a pretty good segue in some ways just recently someone said to me that you know one of those people that either everyone is a person that either runs towards their fears or runs away and there's obviously that whole spectrum Mm. along that line as well Mm. and there's no right or wrong it just depends on the kind of person that we are Mm
1: and that was i think that was his big message to the all the um, high achieving students i think that were there getting awards last night was and all students i, get, I guess but um yeah don't, don't don't just lean into it that's it yeah, yeah. that's what
0: i was about to say you have got to lean into that fear yeah Absolutely. that's nice just isn't it yeah there's I always say there's gold on the other side of it mm. you have just got to front up and you know you don't need to charge at it yeah like a bull, but at least lean into it and feel it, you know. Mm. Mm. And push yourself a little bit. Challenge yourself. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
3: I was actually reading something um, as well, that, like just the other day, and thinking about it in relation to the bushfires and thinking about fear, how... Um, with fear you can operate from a place of fear in your response and you know you see the different reactions that people have had mm. on social media and some people are just operating out of love and putting out so much like what can we do to help what can we do and just running around trying to help people or putting out you know care packages like treading lightly has or they but if you op- or you can operate from fear mm. and the people that are operating from fear are looking at who can we blame what can we yeah
0: in the what finger, we
3: do? yeah, yeah. Who, who's responsible for this? Yeah, and it's I, not helpful.
1: I think the thing too that I really noticed was people's you know reference to fire, mm. like calling it the beast and mm. things like that. When really, it's not the fire that's the beast, yeah, it's part of nature, you know, it is, it's part of the elements that are so important mm. to essential for life. But yeah. absolutely, um, yeah, I guess it's how you look at it. At the fire as well that's such a
2: great point it's it's very much an organic part of of how the environment works mm. i guess it just comes down to how we have these various elements of, of nature of the environment um coexisting yeah. uh, at this given place in time and mm. I, I guess when we start referring to it as the beast it's obviously a negative implication from the onlookers and it's the fact that we've got onlookers in that environment that has created the dislodgement or the imbalance, mm. um, you know, which is yeah. obviously an age-old question of how we interact in nature, how we coexist with nature. Yeah,
3: because it's an essential element, but we're out of balance, and that's why the fires. Are, we can't control them. It's like mm. a big lesson for us that we think we can control and harness
1: nature, but we actually can't. Mm. It's it's bigger than us. I think it's coming at it with a. Resp- approached really you Mm -hmm. know um as our indigenous elders and indigenous people of today still do is that they approach it with respect fire absolutely you know um and that's why they they manage it in such a a different way to our western society does
3: Mm -hmm. well it's Mm -hmm. life-giving isn't it for you know when you think about our origins when fire like it basically was what the village was based around how everyone cooked and kept warm Mm. and it's it's life-giving as well Mm. and replenishing Mm. in australia
0: don't you think there is definitely like a tribal thing when you're sitting around a fire everyone stares into that fire and it's quite a Mm. you know Mm. like it's i don't know there's something deep rooted in that in our psyche and who we are absolutely
2: Absolutely. you know know, we've got gods named after it goddesses Mm i'm not sure what their names are they're they're the fire gods and goddesses right totally Totally.
0: but it's definitely um yeah i suppose you got that respect but it it is a part so creating that management and that reconnecting with the land you know because i think the issue is not so much the fires that you know we haven't allowed the fire to go through there yeah and all our native plants have evolved with fire and You know they require that for the for Mm. the seeds to open and and things like that. So it's it's reconnect. We need to reconnect in with that to stop such a you know devastating thing coming through. It's 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 learning that these are it's a natural thing. It's a cleansing thing. Mm. Absolutely. Um, It revitalizes the soil. And already, I think it was your postman. Just that those you know green shoots starting to come Mm. through already.
1: Yeah, that was really interesting going out and looking at that. And you guys have probably seen that, which um, we'll talk about shortly. But going out and seeing all the beautiful spotted gums out there, that fire had come right up to the the very roots of the spotted gums, and yet the spotted gums didn't even look like they'd been affected. Mm. It was really incredible. Right. Because yet, like so turpentine's next to them, you know, they they were burnt, but they were still okay. You know, it's just the way our Australian bushes designed to handle this i guess um but probably not to the extreme that it's gotten to because um the fires were so big and the fuel was so heavy but yeah um but yeah even just seeing some of the fungus that's grown really quickly fungus that's grown back um yeah i i I was talking to someone about that yesterday and how yeah the australian bush is designed to that i don't know much about it so um i'm only going by secondhand information but a lady that's been looking after the kangaroos and the little joeys that have been affected by the fires and how she said they've been eating the fungus because it's a source of food for them when there's not much else there, but they do get a belly ache from it. So right. mm. they get a bit of an upset tummy and then, so there's a little bit of cycle that, that then goes on from that. But yeah, it's right. really interesting. Wow.
3: That's mm. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking when you were saying that, Dean, um, before that uh fire like it's it's part of our separation to the land and speaking from the you know thinking about the indigenous perspective and just hearing about how they would do controlled burns and they'd started a flashpoint and they knew the flashpoints in the land and I listened to that amazing it was just a short talk I don't know very much about it all but who was it Victor? Victor yeah Yeah. from
1: um, fire stick burning.
3: Yeah it was incredible what I heard him say and
1: it's so s- inspiring
3: yeah it made me want to go to one of his talks and I think we all should And you know how they know where the flashpoints are because they know the land so well mm. and they'd start it slowly on the days when it is going to be a low burn and they burn out in a radius mm. and the animals have time to leave yeah and that's really incredible because that's the devastation that we've seen because of the way the, these fires have burnt
1: mm. just
3: burnt uncontrolled mm. through this dry land
1: there was an interesting post on social media yesterday by the uh, Milton branch of the New South Wales yeah. uh, Rural Fire Service and Victor has been down here and done a cool burn on part of the land mm. in our area, um, I think in conjunction with the um, Ulladulla Lands Council and they've gone back there after these fires and shown how it's hardly that fire hardly affected that part of the land. Mm. If that's not proof...
0: Yeah, yeah
3: amazing. It seems like a lot of this is to do with the way we manage the land and our separation from the land and thinking that we can dominate and we can own and we can say yes or no you can do this to this part of the land but we're interconnected we have to stop and realize that we depend on the land and mm. as much as it mm. depends on us mm.
2: and it's really <clears throat> it's really clear to me how little life i realized i knew about fire big fire i guess generally and and you know, I feel like that's shared with, with most of the people that I'm surrounded by in this community. I, I'm pretty good with the campfire. <laughs> but once it goes beyond the campfire boundary, it's it's an unknown quantity. Mm. Um, to me, I have spent years living in the bush. We've spent years living not surrounded directly by bush, but pretty close. And um, you know, the science of how fire actually works, whether it's controlled fire on a smaller scale or or big fires that are completely out of control is something that um i'm pretty ignorant ignorant about i think most of us are Mm.
1: that that's probably a good time to introduce these guys dean yeah i reckon
2: yeah so
0: we we have um dean and naomi here and they live at um where the fires yeah came through down south down this way so um i know for a fact that um Naomi, you you came out well i suppose we'll, we'll just leave you you guys to tell the story and how it unfolded um and what plans you had in place and what you witnessed through the experience and yeah just give your side of the story
2: okay thanks dean yeah i'll just have a really short little i guess introduction to the story in the in the context that the plan was pretty minimal you know when we and and just counter you know, just and tell me where I'm wrong gnomes but it felt like to me that our plan was simply just passports documents backup drives computer yeah. photos that's the general plan <laughs> in my head throw it in a box jump in the car um, and get out of there and that's that's not my entire plan in, in the scope of my thinking but that was the the flash point using that terminology you guys used before if that big fire comes just make sure you've got all your important shit and get out of there
3: yeah, so what, well, what was happening was we saw the fire out west and living bordering onto the National Park. We we live in a suburban area, but it's, you know, a couple of houses basically from the National Park. The trees are really looming up near our house. And um, when we knew that the fire was out west, we kept an eye on it for a few days and, you know, we were really sad to hear what was happening and to watch on the maps what was happening and how much bush. And, you know, we had our three kids kind of looking at the maps every day too going look mum there's 5,000 hectares burn it's so sad and we're keeping an eye on it but obviously with the hot weather windy weather that we had um, the week before last yeah <laughs> it feels like it's been going on for weeks but it's like years yeah but um, the yeah. situation escalated quite quickly and the fire started moving towards the coast and we all started realizing which areas were going to be impacted first and realizing that if all it would take would be a wind change for it to start heading our way. So I guess we started talking about it, and going, "Well, what, what's, what's our plan?" You know, we've had plans in the past, but in this case, what's, what's going to be our plan? And I, we decided pretty quickly that our priority was to get our children out of there if, if it came close and to keep them safe. Yeah, and that
2: was a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in my mind, it was getting all of you guys out of here, and unless you wanted to argue with me, at which point I'd give you a couple of minutes before I said, "No, that's not happening." You're definitely all getting out of here. Um, you know, maybe we thought about f- filling gutters with water, just getting rid of the, the loose leaf debris around the house around the same time. To contextualise the the time frame, um, the fire front kind of assaulted Tabari on the Thursday afternoon. It was. As early as the Monday that we had friends from Borley that were in the thick of smoke at that point that had been officially evacuated come to our place, five, six, ten kilometres maybe at the most as the crow flies, to evacuate to our place. So we were basically saying, here, our place is all good. It's Monday. Um, You guys don't have to worry about being in that smoke. Hang out with us. We've got enough room and, and space for you. And then hours, within two hours, I think the police came around to Bowery and suggested that we...
3: Well, I think that was the day the southerly hit. So the southerly hit that day and we started having some charred leaves rain down on our house while we were standing around talking. And we kind of looked at each other and realised that it was probably time to start thinking what our plan was. And it pr- pretty quickly kind of changed to Dean and our friend being up on the roof, you know, clearing out gutters and, and thinking about a plan. And I was speaking to um, our one of our dear friends who was going to evacuate to our place and realising that maybe we won't be all staying here tonight. Maybe we need to move a bit further away. Maybe this isn't going to be as safe as we were hoping. So we were kind of, it was all very surreal and we were just walking around packing the house up, just thinking what's important. At first I was thinking nothing's important, you know, except for each other. That was the crux of what was important for me. But as we were talking, we were realising, oh, maybe it would be handy if everything goes to have birth certificates, passports, you know. And then it was funny because the longer we talked and laughed about it, the more stuff you end up throwing in the car. It
2: became quite comedic, My. Buddy from Bali who's a diehard surfer has got his twelve surfboards on the roof of his little sedan. And he's like, Dino, I think I've got enough room in the back for a couple of yours. Why don't I just throw those in? I was like, shit, you it's know, funny I'd you sort of let that. go of all that. But yeah, Staffing if you want the, it, man. Was higher than the car.
1: some of the um, displaced families that we delivered food packages to, they they didn't have much, but they had their wetsuits and their surfboards.
3: <laughs> well then we were thinking, well what's important if some, if the worst happens we we just want everyone safe and then you want to have access to how do you look after yourself mm. so everyone was like well surfing is pretty important and keeping care taking care of our mental health so let's just bring our access to that
2: and realistically I was thinking forward to what work I had coming up mm. so you know, clothes wise I want to be prepared to have something to wear that would be a bit of a hassle to sort of track that down um, you know photographically I was thinking camera equipment obviously but yeah, they were they were sort of our main priorities. Yeah, and just
3: photo albums, that was it really. And so then the yeah, the smoke started getting really bad and our friends that had it evacuated, they'd evacuated from Bali because two of them were asthmatics and as it got smokier and smokier at our place we realised it probably wasn't gonna be a good environment for them to be in. And so I started packing our car as well and just thought, I'll just have it packed so if it gets worse we can go and it got to a couple of hours after the smoke sort of started coming our way, Dean just looked at me and said, "No, I think you should just go. Like, I think you should." The boys were sitting in the car. <laughs> he said, "Why don't you get out of here? Like, you know, it's not worth it. Just go." And, again, and he decided at that point that he would like to stay for longer and and you know just put out spot prepare the house, and yeah, stay for and as long as he could.
2: That's a, that's a pretty large statement in itself, and I, I guess my response or my explanation for that is that rationally I I had all the normal triggers sort of indicating that maybe I should do this or maybe I felt like doing this save the house save yourself the the hassle of rebuilding a house if you're in that situation Um, but really none of those things played the highest priority for me it was very much going back to our conversation earlier a, a really deeply instinctual thing for me in terms of feeling like a I had to stay there and I, I really couldn't articulate why, but that was it. And I I also had a, a certain sense of obligation to some extent that there were potentially people that I might be able to help out and, you know, I'm no hero or any you know, sort of person just looking to save everyone I can. But I, in the back of my mind, I'd had a few conversations with people and I wasn't sure where they were going to be and, yeah, instinctively I just felt like I didn't want to be going anywhere. I was sure of it. Mm. Mm.
3: And pretty soon they moved a roadblock from Borley Point turn off right back to Boreal Lake and so we found out that once you left you might not be able to get back in so it kind of the decision making at that point mm. became a bit more critical, you have to decide what you're going to do. Mm. So um, so anyway I left with the boys later that afternoon and stayed at my mum's place and um, in town and then kind of everything seemed to die down that night we thought oh no it's okay well, maybe we'll go back but while they're at school that day things escalated mm. again and the next few days got really hectic
2: <laughs> yeah it was just really interesting sort of hot and cold not to sort of play on the metaphor too much but yeah that was Monday afternoon that Naomi and the boys left and our friends from Borley so they've all cleared out I'm at home alone I've started going through those measures relatively methodically although slowly gutters are cleaned having a good look at things with different eyes already the fire didn't feel like it was breathing down our neck at that point but then you know as things turned out and as things i'm sure always happen in these situations we went from having conversations cups of tea and i say we because my neighbor had stuck around and actually another neighbor as well all within three doors so there was um, three of us, four if you include my neighbour's son, which is another story in itself I won't go into. But regardless, we're having lighthearted conversations and water in the garden, water in the garden, water in the garden. And then that wind did change. And my neighbour Pete, who I, I have a huge amount of trust in and, and it's mutually reciprocated, um, said, Dino, look, tonight I think I'm just going to get up on a regular watch and just have a look at what's going on to the south there. Um, So meanwhile, Borley's flaring up from the south. As a surfer, I was really tuned into the fact that that suddenly was going to hit quite hard. This is a Tuesday afternoon, um, 24 hours after Naomi and the boys and everyone else had gone. And one thing we decided to do is just set our stopwatches to, to two hours on our phone, an hour and three quarters actually, and alternate our waking time. So between us, throughout that night, we were up every 45 to 50 minutes or whatever it was just having a quick look and it's funny you know like the third or fourth third two-hour wake-up period you're so tired you're like oh man i've got through the last two or three it's you know it's almost daybreak i'm exhausted i just have half a glimpse out the curtain oh yeah she all looks good (laughs) just straight back to sleep it was you know still at that level of you know sort of brink of, of chaos but real um i guess just being quite um relaxed about it at the same time it definitely didn't feel like it was so close it was all happening and then the next couple of days was back to cups of tea water in the garden and that's where I really went deep into a research mode and and personally I work really well with learning from people as I think you do too Moni and I had a lot of conversations I had a lot of beautiful people giving their information calling up guys that know people that know what to do? Have lived through and experienced a lot of bushfires, and saying, "Dino, you need to do this, this, this." that would send me text, It'd send me um, app links. They'd send me this that, and the other. And then we had the community um, get together at the fire shed on the Wednesday afternoon. So we'd gone through. can I say we, but collectively, um, we'd gone through all these measures. And meanwhile, I'm on the computer doing my Google research and speaking to people. And then we have this community meeting. I feel like I want to hand that over to you, gnomes, but. It's,
0: yeah. yeah, I just wanted to ask like how how are you feeling at this point?
3: Um Maybe. so I was feeling okay. Uh yeah, well I, I say okay in a way back to but not okay because while all this was going on. We had friends in Bali whose lives and homes were in danger. We had friends in Tamil that live in the bush, surrounded by bush, and on Tuesday night the fire ripped through Tamil and it sounded like, from what I heard, and I mean, this is all second, third hand, the fire and bawling kind of approached in places kind of a bit more slowly, from what I've heard. I might be wrong. But in Tamil, it just went through a lot of state forests surrounding friends' properties that had recently been logged. And the bush was very dry. And I had a friend up there who was surrounded by flames and it, a fireball went through his property, essentially. And he was rescued by some other friends it was an incredibly heroic heroic situation and i, I won't go into it there because that's his story mm-hmm. but um it was i was beside myself for their sakes i was okay about to bear at that point but i realized how serious it was and that this fire that was at tamil jumped the road into Maroo. and we had fires earlier in the year at Maroo, so we'd already packed the cars in march i think it's february or march earlier this year If I got to within a kilometer of our house then so it was a bit of data vu and thinking right this is really close again and I was ringing Dean and saying I don't really want you to stay but if you feel like you have to I'll support you because I back your judgment and I trust your judgment but I'm I'm worried I'm really worried because I'd heard these stories of friends really narrowly escaping with their lives and their homes burnt down and so I was, I was pretty much walking around in a state of disbelief and numbness for a couple of days, feeling pretty sick about the whole thing. So, yeah, but meanwhile, in Tadari...
2: Yeah, meanwhile, I guess...
3: There was meetings and yeah, the that's community right. was so rallying around each other.
2: There's messages coming left, right and centre, yeah, I guess representing that whole range of emotions. People saying, get out of there, get out of there now. To um, you know, we support you, just you and your decision, and um, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So,
0: what what was the stance with the fireys? Like, did you have a lot of um, communication with them at that point, or not really? And this is yeah. what
2: got really interesting. So, the RFS, I'm pretty sure of it. At least the fireys generally hosted a four o'clock Wednesday afternoon uh, community meeting. So that's 48 hours, two days after after Naomi and the boys and a number of other people that we knew had got out of there, it was the the word got out via um, messages to each other, whether it be on Facebook or text. Um, And and interestingly enough, that word was initially disseminated through one of the um, community-orientated people that works with the Shorebird program, for instance, and somehow um, through his affiliation with the... Communities within Tabari, he was the nominated person to get the word out, and I, I know for for this poor guy who had to hold that huge responsibility, he didn't even know really where to start. He knew where to start, but mm. how do you how do you get in touch with absolutely everybody mm. in quite a large community there? And th- that was a huge pressure for him. And regardless, you know people did find their way to the fire shed for that community meeting, but a lot of people also didn't for the fact that they just didn't know. Mm. Um, long story short there we are in the fire shed and it's hard to say how many people were there but I'd imagine that there was about 150 people and it felt to me like there was about 120 people I'd never laid eyes on which is one of those really interesting things about living Mm. in you know in this suburban um, region that that we live in that um, unless you walk a dog or go surfing you don't really come across people that much which is a real disconnect in, in so many ways and that makes me a bit sad in itself. Anyway, without going too far off track, the fireys gave us, they didn't give us an ultimatum, but they said how severe it was going to be the next day. And that really, the bottom line is, is if you don't have a plan, and this is the part that I really liked about it, if you don't have a plan and are prepared to actively um, engage in that plan, whether that's to stay or to go, um, you need to basically get that thing, you need to get that plan happening right about now.
3: Or leave. Yeah, so or
2: leaving is a plan as well. But, mm. yeah, I guess from my perspective where I was already, because I I had stayed so far, I planned on staying still, even with the escalation and severity of the fire impending. I was like, yeah, I'm staying. I'm really sure of it. I've done my 48 hours of, <laughs> of research, which sounds so bloody ridiculous. Um, you know, my sort of – my 10 years and two days of, of, of in-depth research – Half of it on google anyway i was going to stay and when they said that you really need to be actively engaged in defending if if that's part of your plan i think that probably got a few people thinking a little bit hang on a second um you know that's that sounds sort of serious and there was no picture painted other than you know certain words severity um go go now we want you i guess what probably sent it into the next layer of, of understanding for certain people was they said, look, if you're not gone by 9 o'clock, not 9.30, but 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, it, it may well be too late. Mm-hmm. And so I think people are starting to think about that. Meanwhile, there are people not at the meeting who are oblivious to it all, which, um, you know, it's just part of how things happen. But that that could be done better. I'm not sure exactly how, but there's... Certainly things we can put in place in the future that can had they had a door knock at any stage prior to that? The police had been around. So that was
3: after I left. So I'm not sure when the door knock happened. It was it must Tuesday, have been or Tuesday or Wednesday? it yeah, we, I wasn't there, I know that.
2: Yeah, it was certainly a good day before the fire shed meeting.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and but with context to all of that, like often when fires have hit in the past, there's one fire happening in one part of the state and something that was adding to all of this i think and was adding to the my anxiousness and was and feelings of despair for our friends were that we knew that resources were so stretched Mm. we knew that Mm. parks fire crews like our expert Mm. fire crews and volunteers had been already fighting fires up north for months And we knew that there were fire fronts. This fire had already gotten so big by the time we got to Tavari that they weren't just in one spot. Mm. They couldn't go out to people's properties that were isolated mm. because they just didn't have enough trucks.
1: And I think that was one of the messages from the yeah. police the day before. Yes. You know, yep. like there's no guarantee someone's going to be here because exactly. they're all over the place and out that's west, absolutely. out the yeah. back of Milton, absolutely. you know, absolutely. Out, um, towards Batemans Bay, yep. Borley. Yeah.
3: And they were yeah. cut off the fire crews that were in mm. Bali, when it got to Tabari. They were in Bali. They mm. weren't leaving. They had to stay. Mm. And that, it was hitting them at the same time as it was hitting us that day when the Southerly came through. So,
2: and I think that was a really big um, area of ignorance with people or denial that, that the fires are going to be there. Mm. We've been through all these fires before. You know they they're a bit scary at first but you know they'll, they'll blow over or they'll blow around us and either way there'll be five ten trucks on your doorstep in a heartbeat mm. and i was shaking my head just saying i don't think so and look the analogy that i think is is, is relatively appropriate for us sea dwellers is that we go surf south molly beach if we're not super comfortable in in a raw ocean we know there's flags there it's, it's usually one to two foot, a couple of three to four foot days once every now and then. Maybe once a year you'll have a six foot plus day and the flags are still there and the lifesavers are still there. But people don't realise that every five to 15, maybe 50 years, you get that swell that's just going to obliterate mm. everything in its path. Flags are down, the lifesavers have got no hope. Mm. It's no different with the fireys, you know, nature.
1: Yeah, that's a it, good analogy, Yeah,
2: really. yeah nature mm-hmm. is unpredictable, and we talk about one- to five-year cycles, but it's 500-year cycles. We've got no idea how big that mm. that potential towering inferno is mm. going to be.
3: And they talk about, you know, in science, in environmental science and these kind of natural disaster events, there's one-in-100-year events, but one thing that's happening is that these one-in-100-year events are happening every couple of years yeah. at the
1: moment. Yeah, well, yeah. All, all those fire chiefs that have been yeah. demanding some kind of action have been saying that this is our new norm. Yeah, mm. for
2: sure. <clears throat>
1: and and even still, you think think about the amount of forest that's been burnt here, just here in this area, let alone across the country. Um, there's still a lot of bush to burn there. You know, like those wind changes came. Time. Thankfully, was one of the i'm sure you'll be able to advocate for that but some of those wind changes that came through were the the absolute saviors in the end
3: it's like a miracle yeah it
1: really was (laughs) but there's there's still a lot of bush to burn Mm. you know so i guess the hyper vigilance of people like yourselves in those areas and I, i know even for us just not last night the night before we had falling burnt leaves in our front yard from the fire out the back of milton and that yeah. that's not looking great for the next couple of days yeah you know so the hyper vigilance of everyone mm. is re- quite extreme and everyone's yeah
2: and I, yeah i wouldn't even suggest that we were necessarily hyper vigilant i'd yeah I still yeah, you know, i was really engaged and i think you know we were both really engaged from the emotional through to the the action and doing parts of it. But, mm. uh, you know, there's still that, that thing about it fires. That you, it hasn't hit and you haven't got, you know, a blizzard of burning embers on your head. So that denial is, is pretty, mm. yeah, you know, pretty thick. You're like, oh, oh. That,
1: that, that's been a huge... Mm. Um, there's been so many layers to the whole experience. Absolutely. And being from this side of, of you, like where you guys were, I mean, our homes weren't under direct threat, yeah. but being you know being on the front line delivering food and things like that to people who were directly dealing with the directives of what was going on and how and what people trying to i guess advise people what to do um given the resources that were available um yeah i think there was a lot of uh, not deliberate ignorance maybe some but yeah mm.
3: It's a surreal thing. And when you're thinking yeah. about your house burning down, like we are talking about, like I was saying, I was just laughing with my friend as I was packing up the house, going, what's important anyway? It's all yeah. just stuff. But I think, you know, we fast forward to Thursday afternoon when... I, and I actually think I did go into hypervigilant mode mm. and probably because I was out of there, you know. Mm. I was out of there and I was really worried about Dean. I was worried about our friends who'd stayed. And I was thinking when things got really serious um I, I did get a text from Dean telling me how serious it was getting and I it was such a bizarre situation because one of our kids was at his year six I was at his year six graduation it's so with him and I was getting these texts about the fire and just feeling like trying to contain it so I could be there for our son and it was it's so surreal and I was just thinking right this is it we're probably going to lose our house tonight and Taking a big deep breath and going, That's okay, I just want Dean out of there. So we're him safe.
1: Yeah.
2: And I, I guess for me, from from the insider's perspective there, that hyper does kick in at a certain point and calculatively, strategically for the onlooker who's posted up in that case, not running towards or away from it, it's when those those weather systems, fire and wind effectively, not to mention the dryness, are lined up and, and they're coming towards you and you've got an idea once they're a certain distance away that they're going to be at you or on top of you within you know a relatively short period of time I do want to take one step back really briefly just because it's about the only message I've really got that I feel is is a really valid contribution potentially and that's going back to the fire meeting after being told that everyone should go by 9 not nine thirty, get out of there unless you've got an active plan to defend I had a conversation with a bunch of fellow community members um, and one, one-on-one basically with about five different people or friends or blokes and I was like man what are, you, what are your plans what are you going to do and I'd already come to a lot of really stern really fixed conclusions with my own plan of a plan of attack plan of defense I guess and what I was finding is that the majority of the answers I was getting was that I'm going to stick around and I was like okay cool that's that's all good but tell me are you going to stick around until it looks like it's close, so you actually going to stick around until you've got the blizzard of burning embers on your on your head and you've got one foot of visibility because otherwise it's putrid dark smoke and you need a rope to be able to find your front door and that's when i'd sort of notice there'd be a pause in their, in their thinking and they're like okay and two or three half the people that i had this conversation with hadn't allowed themselves to go to that Place mm. in their mind, and mm. yeah, that's
1: Denial. number one
2: takeaway. You need to picture yourselves in the worst case scenario, mm. and that's not the worst case. It gets a lot worse than that. But in in my mind, and I, I back this, and I'm happy to be disproven. But if you're going to stick around, you need to be prepared to be engulfed by that scenario that I just pictured, and then you have to be prepared for the next stage So the second question: If you're going to stick around, and you're prepared to be in that scenario, blizzard, of burning embers, zero visibility, pretty much smoke so thick you can hardly breathe. What are you going to do then? And this is something which is also really telling for me. And most people at that point um, say, "Well, look, I'm just going to get the hell out of here. I'm going to leg it. I'm going to go to the lake. Or I'm going to go to the beach." I'm like, no, you're not. Like, you you can't do that. And I'm speaking at that point from someone's perspective that has no lived experience in taking refuge in a fire, but I, I had done the ref, the research with that and spoken to the fireys at length after the meeting before I had those conversations as well. And it's, it's a really simple takeaway. You stick around or you're unfortunately in a situation where you've got no choice, but to stick around in that situation where it's all happening and once it gets too hot to handle, you take refuge behind a, you know, be within a building that's hopefully as fire-retardant as you can possibly get. Um... You know, that, that then segues into how safe is your house to be in. Unfortunately, it's going to be the safest thing you've got unless you've got a neighbour's house immediately next to you that's safer, mm. which for my neighbour, our house was the safest option. Um, looking at our house, we've had extensions and there's old parts of the house that have got really weak 1970s windows that I reckon would have blown in in a heartbeat if mm. it had a half-decent wind behind it. Um, I did have wet blankets over those window frames, um, but prepared for the prepared for the worst. My neighbour and I had both decided that we'd retreat in into our house, knowing which way the fire was going to be coming. If the windows blew out and we've literally been engulfed in flames in our house, it would go to this little granny flat that we've got, which has been recently built, and it's pretty tough.
3: It's built, been built to fire standards. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah.
2: The, the thing is there's all these different... Um, yeah just six of ones and half a dozens of another there's all these different calculations that everyone's scenario is totally different that that plan was pretty solid except the studio only got one door it doesn't have an entry um and an exit mm. it's only got one entry um so at that point yeah you realize you've got a fallible plan it's not it's not rock solid mm. but it was the best one we've got we did have plans beyond that we had fences line we had ladders lined up on Every fence line, if we did have to leg it, but that is that one in a thousand, one in a million mm-hmm. scenario where you've basically been you know, evacuated from your first refuge into the second. That thing has just engulfed you in the second, and you know, you're kind of fucked at that point if you are actually considering getting out mm-hmm. of the second one. But regardless, I think the important takeaway is you've got to be ready for all those scenarios, um, and there's definitely levels beyond what I've explained as well that can. can give you an advantage whether it's some form of um they call them um scuba it's not i don't know if the scuba tank for diving is the same analogy but scba is so self-contained breathing apparatus Mm -hmm. which the fire is used i looked into that as well and it's a really really expensive outlay and you know i think it'd be nice to explore further what your oxygen options are otherwise that's one of the big
1: things that people don't realize it's a like the heat is like I think they said parts of parts of that fire got up to like two thousand degrees mm. or something. That's
2: it. And that's what I asked the fire is that was the only question I really had for the fire is tell me, is the radiant heat of this fire in your estimation gonna be so hot that a lung full or, or more is gonna just incinerate my lungs immediately? What's the deal if we do stick around and we're exposed to that? And that's yeah, you know, I think that was a really pertinent question mm. and Sorry to interrupt. You no, there, no, Marie. it's true. Um, no, it's
1: just adding to what you were saying. Yeah,
2: but that radiant heat's everything. That's how people die. It's you know, it's basically it's smoke inhalation. Yes, you know, sort of medium term, but it's the radiant heat to the lungs that that fries us from the inside out. That really gets people. Which is why we want to take refuge away from the um, from the onslaught mm. of the immediate what, flame. What was
1: his answer to
2: that? His answer, as I took away from it, and I, I'm probably. Um, I uh, probably twisted a little bit in my mind, but his answer was that tomorrow is not a catastrophic day weather-wise. That we don't have, um, you know, forty degree plus heat conditions. Uh, there's a little bit of. There's going to be a little bit of humidity in the air. Uh, when it comes, it's going to be coming from a more moderate westerly as opposed to a, you know, just a all guts out westerly. Um, the subtly looks like it's going to play a part in it, which is you know something we'd explore as well, but. His takeaway really was that if it's not catastrophic in, in their definition, um, we're probably going to be, in, you know, as far as experience has proven so far, we're going to be able to be okay with the radiant heat if taking refuge. Um, again, taking refuge is probably, in my, my vision, it's on the floor, blanket over your head, you've still got your um, particle masks on, all that kind of thing um you know like the conversation just keeps on going and going and there's and that's hopefully what this will do because i'm still not 100 percent sure which the best particle mask is i'm pretty sure they call it n95 grade which is 10 bucks from bunnings um there's obviously more expensive versions there you know, questions like whether or not you actually douse your blanket in water i had my blanket in the bath until um a mate said well actually you know man like if that blanket's Getting scorched, you might die die from the boiling water within the mm. within the wool particles. Because that's
1: that's the other thing that people don't realise. They think, oh, we'll just jump in the pool, or we'll jump in the lake, or we'll go to the beach, and yeah. they don't realise that because of the that radiant heat, how they'll just boil. That's it. You know.
2: So people boil um, in pools for sure. Mm. The lakes a bit of a different scenario, but. You know, it's it's a really truth. shit place to be still, and because know. of those
1: that fireball situation, like you were saying, I, you know when you look at those photos that um, I think Josh Birkinshaw took, yes. Yeah, you know, yeah. and you look John at that. Josh, yeah. Josh, the yeah. South yeah. Doris yeah. road. Yeah. looking back at North Doris, that was insane. And the, f- the fire up on the headland, and then, um, you know, I've heard scenarios of depending on which way the wind's going, the fire just blows straight across the ocean. And mm. if you're not out, I mean, if you're not out on a jet ski or something like that, mm. you that's know, it. that's not even a safe refuge. Yeah,
2: exactly.
0: So you, you felt yourself as you mentioned that your plan was fallible for sure did, did the worst case scenario like did, did you get to a point where you're just like oh or, or before it even hit you go what if you know because that it, it is you, you know?
2: got to like you got to play out every branch of the decision tree and that's the thing like to be prepared you've got to rip that mask of delusion out of there picture as bad a case a scenario is impossibly picture talk to people who have been in those scenarios and then Put yourself there and then every branch of that decision tree, you know, from that point and every other bad scenario that you can envisage and be prepared. And this is where it was quite an interesting process for a strategic thinker. You know, all of a sudden that decision tree is pretty broad. There's a lot of branches that are coming off it. You know, that little branch I described before, from water in the water in the garden and the house in the front yard to retreating back into the house once that fires on top of you, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. That's just one of the branches you've got to start thinking about the chickens um you know is my family okay you come back to okay i'm just here still is my neighbor okay Mm. is my other neighbor with his kid okay um you know like just uh, there's so many different factors Mm. and and mainly just playing out the weather scenarios is it going to come from the north from the south from the east Mm. the west so many variables so many just infinite variables Mm. Mm.
1: and so I guess in terms of how close the fire got to you, can you share that with everyone?
2: Yeah, look at you know I sort of describe it as being in the front seat of a rock front row of a rock concert. It um, you know all the all the feeling energy was there, Um, and then at the same note there was a real separation because there was bugger all smoke. I guess taking a step back, the the as predicted had had whipped up really quite quickly and earlier than expected the fire chief came round and said oh look it's not looking good it's looking worse than what he imagined that's always a little bit of a, a daunting scenario mm, yeah. um they're normally so-called cool. he was cool calm, calm and collected about it but you know he was grave as well mm. um and that Wesley basically pushed the fire front um from from the southwest um, to the northeast towards basically the Lake to Bowery residential boundary line that, that faces southwest so the fire was coming straight on to about a 400 meter stretch of Lake to Bowery's residential property lines um, and, and we could see that happening I guess when we talked about before going from um, from sort of cups of tea and conversations watering the garden to hypervigilant was when that fire somehow seemed to have jumped a couple of steps and I'm 99% sure it wasn't a case of the fire actually spotting but regardless of the mechanics or the science behind it all of a sudden there was big black plume to smoke which looked like they're probably on my friend's house and if they weren't on my friend's house they were probably on the houses between his and my house and and the whole trickery of the eye thing was quite interesting because as it turned out it was still another um, 50 to 75 meters past his house but regardless big big black plume to smoke and Um, hypervigilance Mm. definitely kicked in at that stage Um, without drawing out the whole thing too far um, really with with that getting really really close really quickly a little bit of air action with the helicopter and the water but as I remember it there was one helicopter with one one bucket of water with a single a single rotation then he disappeared and i'm not sure if that's because i've just blocked out certain events which is highly possible but um, next thing i really remember apart from sort of hanging out with my neighbor on the front there again just continually hosing the garden hosing the house um, everything else and there's so many other things we led, did in that three days but that was the main focus at that point making sure the chooks are away at that point hypervigilance got, got associated with the chooks are now time to go in the bathroom uh, <laughs> that was our um, plan for the chooks <laughs> yeah um, I'll, I'll now hose my neighbor's place a little bit more um yeah just start everything just started to adopt a new perspective as the scenarios change yeah that's the nature of the mind we yeah, you know all of a sudden you're like shit that branch which i didn't change or off at my friend's request a couple of days ago now looks a hell of a lot closer to the house than what it did two days ago you know with that fire coming down mm-hmm. you're starting to look at everything even more vigilantly using that word again long story short the subtly hit with gusto as expected and um i guess i know i'm really sort of taking a lot of the conversation here but just to paint the picture we've got all our gear on you know just uh you know, just dad's army gear, really. Snowboard goggles, felt hat made by Rhythm, sponsored by Rhythm for firefighting. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was the best dressed fire, fire defender in Tabari. I had my vintage leather jacket that I'd carefully like, cut out the, the, the lining just because it was synthetic. So I cut out the synthetic lining. I've got my leather jacket buttoned up. I've got my bandana over my particle mask. Um, you know, I've got my best jeans. I've got my favourite leather boots on. Um, and then I guess to put the the piece to resist on so I've got my earpiece from my um, headphone set that I use my headphone set they use for the phone um, basically through the bandana and mask under the hat near my ear with my phone in my pocket tuned to the fire um, scanner radio um, oh, so gosh. basically the two-way radio that the fireys are speaking on so I had that on for a couple of hours and yeah that's probably my second biggest takeaway like all the um, you know the ABC radio coverage and the fires near me is good you know before the vigilance stage kicks in, but if you want to know what 's actually really happening on the ground um, as best you can, basically you can get an app on your phones and download it it 's basically police what is it it's it's scanner, scanner 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 radio you look up scanner radio fire, and police and that gives you this app which allows you to basically tune into. Um, local frequencies and in this case you literally get a frequency to choose from not necessarily a frequency but a choice Mm. of uh, the local fire brigade is just how i read it i can't remember what the reality of that is so literally i'm listening to all the fireys locally talking on their two ways or whatever they are um, about what's going on so the fires just hit the end of patterson close that's 200 meters away i could see it at that stage but um, it was sort of having this reinforcing effect of you know i guess both the severity of what's happening the actual um actions that the fires were taking which was really informative and really really helpful and, and it's got this sort of i guess lasting impression too that the fire is so matter of fact about going through the motions of what they do that it, it sort of instills a little bit of um a, a little bit of, of more doing and and action and less thinking as well it's just like right we're, here we are you almost feel like you you're, you're, you're part of that system which obviously i know so well that i'm not but it was a really interesting aid anyway um and i've lost track of where i started all that from now but Um, yeah
1: i'm I'm pleased that you spoke about because i know you wrote a post on social media that went pretty much viral locally and further afield um purely because i think it really hit the nail on the head in terms of Choosing to stay, be, you know, have a really solid plan. Don't just think, I think, in your words, words don't think you can stand there in a pair of shorts and thongs, thongs and a yeah. hose and that'll be all right because it's not going to be. That's, know, that's, in it. short, yeah. But, um, so yeah, having that PPE equipment, also, um, things like food is something that I found was a really major Absolutely. thing. Like a lot of people in Bali who chose to stay in... Def- or chose to stay, not necessarily stay and defend Yeah um, They ran out of food
2: Yeah, and look, if you are staying and defending You actually want to have that You want to be well fed You want to be well yeah. nourished You want to be really well hydrated Yeah, um, yeah literally my neighbour Pete and I Finished a bowl of dal with a hoses in our hand As we're watching the, the Wesley blow it onto the end of Patterson Close there and we took our last mouthful just with this real um you know just knowingness as we placed our bowls down <laughs> the grass this went right luckily we got that in just in time and yeah, another takeaway that hopefully i can sort of give to people as well as there are things you do forget and we all work differently but for me i had lists i had you know, this is the way I work with everything. But I had a list, a go-to list that I knew I was going to forget elements of it. And you know, elements can be different between having vision for the rest of your life. For instance, you know, there, there were friends in that situation that just ran outside and forgot their goggles, so they're exposed. Um, you know, their eyeballs are completely exposed. Um, for me, these gloves were something that um, you know just felt really foreign to me. So I'd take them off and make the dial, and then go, oh, shit, the gloves. Put the gloves on um you know i had no a uh, final note on my hand and yeah, you know, it was actually chooks and the chooks were something i just because i just kept on forgetting about the chooks i'm like shit the chooks <laughs> final thing but yeah the hydration and food would the i meant oh, to okay. take them when i
3: evacuated but i couldn't <laughs> <And then laughs> so it I was like what are we going to do with the chooks we have to work with yeah them.
2: and it's so it's so comedic because at what point do you put the chooks in like because you have to chase chooks to get the chooks you know in our place you do anyway so there's a bit of rigmarole around that and the chooks aren't going to be happy about putting in the bathroom they're going to be shitting all over the tiles and if it's just another <laughs> another scare, you're like, oh shit you got to get the chooks out again and at what point is it serious enough to get the chooks anyway it was one of those funny little scenarios <laughs> that kept on playing in my mind get the chooks and it was definitely time to get the chooks finish the dial. get the chooks make sure we're hydrated put the gloves on on and actually have those the food the nourishment and the water at stations throughout the evacuation of throughout the defense plan as well you know like basically at every point you got to remember you are potentially blinded from the Mm -hmm. smoke um you know basically having a rope system could help i I didn't get to that point or i didn't for, for a number of reasons i didn't do that but i did have water both within the house drinking water and in 20 litre buckets ready to continue soaking blankets um towels and and to drink if need be i didn't have water on me but i guess that's another thing that water was absolutely everywhere and that's that's something which um you know i guess if you haven't been in a fire before this is something i learned that you are most likely if you're on town water going to learn to you lose your town pressure mm, your town water pressure exactly yeah so we had wheelbarrows wheelie bins um surf buckets everything under the sun that was mm. a potential vessel filled with water you know the water bill is just going to be through the roof and which is you know just no drama whatsoever but that's at that point you're just like right water absolutely everywhere filled in the gutters um, which are leaking yeah what do you do you just keep on getting out there putting more water in there etc etc et cetera. Et cetera. Mm. Um, you know, i guess this where I sort of trailed off and I try and wrap this up because I've taken way too much oxygen <laughs> no pun intended but the southerly did hit with Augusta and it was miraculous because it hit briefly from the south dead south whether it be 180 or 190 degrees or whatever but it did hit from the south apparently and I, I'm fairly dubious about the the extent of time that that lasted because before we knew it it was blowing the fire perpendicular to us and what presented almost as an easterly and Tabauri's beach faces southeasterly, easterly, but um, you often get that trickery of the eye again. But regardless, it subtly ended up blowing from what looked like it was east southeast at about thirty to forty knots. It was just a real good southerly bluster, and if you're a surfer, particularly, you normally know that southerlies, when they come through really hard, they normally stay from the, they start from the south and they stay from the south. For quite some time, and then they sort of peter around to the southeast over a matter of about two hours before they sort of blown their guts out, and you end up with sort of a light onshore breeze or onshore airflow. This one was really different. It basically blew its guts out from the southeast and was unabating for um, for hours, mm-hmm. um, hours and hours and hours. And one that saved Tabari. Um, basically, if that westerly had blown any longer, or the southeast mm-hmm. had blown with any more south in it. This would be a totally different conversation. I
1: I had spoken to one of the um, rural fire service fellas the next day and he said to me, it was like, he said it was like someone just turned a tap off. He said he was standing there and within metres of him this wall of flames was coming and he said and all of a sudden that wind change came through and the fire just abated and went and he said it was like someone just turned the tap off.
2: That's really interesting because the the really only prominent vision i have from from the whole thing is that tap turning off for me was just a tap turning on within 15 minutes again but way harder than the original tap so mm. the westerly was impending it was threatening but it was that southeaster that ended up picking up the fuel from what was left from the westerly mm. and everything in front of it which was unburnt still and you know I've used this expression a few times I think it's really apt it, it created what to me presented as as twice the height of the tallest gum trees on my immediate horizon which are about 200 meters away so I'm I'm figuring it's about 50 to 70 meters high wow. and it was it was blood red flame from top to bottom but what was what was threatening about it and incredibly threatening about it is that that 30 to 40 knot southeasterly looked like it was just cyclonic at a horizontal yeah horizontal. even here, i
1: don't know if you noticed naomi while you were back here and all this was going on and we we're all messaging you going Are you okay? Are you okay <laughs> <laughs> is dean out of there <gasps> tell him oh. to get out
2: of there and um, i was thinking the same thing i was yeah. thinking i've got friends underneath that right now and there's a 70 meter horizontal blowtorch spanning 300 yeah. meters wide at least and um, which, is, which
1: is what i was saying about like if you think you're going down the beach exactly know, same thing mm. but um not to mention the tree lines access to the beach the Exactly, whole way. the whole way. And if it's
3: flowing like that, you're not going to outrun it. No. It's just not going to happen. No. But you did describe it to me as like a blowtorch. It felt like you felt like a blowtorch was coming towards you, and then all of a sudden that southeaster easter kicked in and you saw it just rip over to the other side.
2: To be honest, it's, was, it's a little bit different in my mind. It's just the blowtorch was after the south-easter kicked right. in, so the yep. south-easter created this... in the other this, direction. Yeah. yeah, perpendicular right. to where I yeah. was standing. So... I guess that's how it was you know it's quite a, a good vantage point in that way because I could see the rate that it was traveling which again was just the when I picture a blowtorch or a Bunsen burner or the gas burners on our stoves like it's the flames are just fuels and that's what it was like at that height above the ground and in my idea in my mind it, it was at least you know, it had to be you know hundreds of meters wide mm. Um, and really the biggest thing that I was taking from that is that I've got friends that are going to be directly in the line of that, that are, um, still here. And they decided that they could, you know, I guess, stick around to the embers were hitting and they thought maybe that they'd go inside and like, shit, you know, like there's some really potentially serious stuff <laughs> and going might not on have time to go
3: inside as I watch. <laughs>
2: and, you know, I was timing in my head. I, I can't remember if I was looking at my watch at the time, but, Again, the estimation in my head was that the intensity across, a say, a football football field-sized area of that, that blowtorch felt like it was about 10 minutes in lasting, even 10 to 15 minutes lasting, which I actually can't really put two and two together in terms of how that works because we talk about fires burning that quick, ripping through that quickly as well. But I know I was there for 10 to 15 minutes you know, watching this thing, hosing, hosing, watching, watching, hose my neighbour, watch, hose myself. And this thing's still there moving, but just so slowly. So that intensity was just, um, yeah, it just although it was moving, it was basically too long-lasting um, in any given spot mm. for anyone to be able to sustain that heat. And in my mind, any house, to be able to sustain that kind of an intensity as well. Mm. Um, Which as
1: probably it, was a bit of a... You probably had a bit of aftershock from that, I guess, later on, thinking about your plan and what you had intended to do, if that had have been in the other direction.
2: For sure. So that's a really good point. Again, I won't just go into too much, but the plan has to remain the same Mm. Um, in, in that scenario at least. I think it's good to always have plan B, C and D, but regardless, the plan has to remain the same. And I guess the science behind the thinking with that is that if you have taken shelter and you're under your blanket, the windows haven't blown out, um, you're within four walls and a roof, that that 10 to 15 minutes is about long enough before the house starts basically burning down on top of you. So a a house won't typically burn as quickly as the bush around it will. So you do typically, and again, I hope that, you know, more information comes around this because I'm definitely no scientist when it comes to this stuff and I think there's a lot of fire science that's still yet to be nutted out but I think they say that a house won't, depending on the materials, of course... But a, yeah, no, a fiber house then you've also have a, the to consider what's
1: inside the house yeah. and what's, what, what's the house, flammable and, and, and that's the intensity exactly right. of the fire as
3: well like yeah. on that catastrophic fire day or where, if it's a fireball that goes through to meal that's raising houses versus the slower a, burning is yeah. it brick house have you got yeah. all
2: insulation mm. have you got open eaves have you got timber floorboards all that kind of stuff
1: would you still have made the same decision
2: yeah absolutely mm. 100% and uh, there's a couple of things I'd um, I, I'd add to the bucket list to, that, the, to the list of things
0: what if what if as mon said that wing that wind had a swung round and went straight over and you had to seek refuge inside the house yeah would you, how would you feel how would you feel about it yeah now? i guess
2: it's impossible to say how would i feel about it now look i that, that's that's the bottom line isn't it you know what are we there for and that takes me back to my original statement that i, I didn't have a, a really clear articulated the thought train in terms of why I was there but instinctively you know maybe this is why I was here there you know I, I did know that I really wanted to be there and I knew that you know, in past experiences that, that I can handle myself in under pressure you know there's different flavors of pressure and everything else I think if I was in that scenario um, I, I think I would have survived still given the, um, the the solid structure that we and had the nature
0: of the situation yeah
2: given the nature of that situation even if we were under that blowtorch, um, and had that fifteen minutes under the blanket in the second refuge after the first house windows are blown out. I, um, I I'm I'm ninety nine point nine percent positive that I'd be absolutely fine, maybe with a bit of bit of smoke in the lungs. So I don't want to diminish the severity of it for anyone potentially sort of taking their decision paths as well, because um, you know, I guess if you want to delineate between scenarios, the catastrophic day it can be totally different. Mm. Um, and, you know, no, I don't think anyone would have necessarily been able to foresee that that wind was from the southeast and it was going to blow at what I estimated to be around 70 to 80 kilometres at the heart of the fire. Um, so whether or not they consider that catastri- catastrophic retrospectively, I'm not sure. Mm. I think the difference between the two different weather scenarios is that the heat and humidity of the air is what's going to, Allowed the houses to spontaneously combust at a faster or slower rate, otherwise, and I felt on that given day, even retrospectively, if the fire did come straight through our front windows, that I would have been fine. Mm.
1: So, what having said that and saying that you would have chosen the same, um, now with more of a you know, thinking about that now in retrospect. Would that be because you wanted to be there for your village or for your home?
2: Okay, so that's philosophically a really big question, mm. and I, I don't have a clear answer. But I know philosophically what I do believe is that if we're as prepared as we can possibly be, community-wise, that we can make a difference, and that's been proven. Um, so, you know, I think that means that you have to know whether or not you're up for the job. If that's something that you you prepared to do if you want to be posting up and, and protecting your property or your neighbor's property even more importantly the little old lady that's seen all the fires come through before and she's going to have 10 fireys on a doorstep who's in her thongs and t-shirt and she's trapped in that back refuge screaming her head off um, regard- and you're
1: no good to hear it unless you're prepared either well,
2: That's exactly right So there are <laughs> going to be people that stick around that aren't prepared As that post intonated and maybe they will never change Hopefully we can educate mm. and, and change that scenario and, and have more people leave That's the bottom line with that Because
3: that's something that came up The fireys realised that when they did a door knock That about 180 people stayed in Lake Tabari that day As Dean had said in the post And it just sounded like people were quite traumatised after it Because this fire was different mm. And the resources were there, and we were really lucky that somehow the resources came together. And there were national parks crews st- standing behind the houses, yeah. And,
2: uh, and the air—literally, uh,
3: you know. they saved houses by just standing in the face of that blowtorch. That's
1: something that I'm yeah. glad you brought up because yeah. um, that's something that we have learned um, yeah. through, you know, looking after frontline services as much as we possibly can mm. offer um is that uh the rural fire service do an incredible job no doubt about it but there's a lot of other services like national parks yeah and they were you know they were so humble about it but it was obvious that some of their vehicles and things like that are more accessible in terms of getting into the back of people's properties and they're very nimble and quick and Mm. able to be there but and um, they're very experienced fighting. They are. And they know the land yeah. and they know the country, I yeah. guess, as well as Absolutely. Uh, as anyone c- could. And yeah. they're very passionate about it. And that you wouldn't work in that job unless you loved that environment. So Absolutely. to see that all going up in flames in the way that it has been, I guess, has been quite, you know, a big thing for them.
3: Absolutely. Mm. And that's something that else that's come out of it in the aftermath is... People have been getting emotional and saying, making big statements like if national parks had have allowed backburning mm. and things that are not actually correct. I read something about they've had 35% of their fire budget cut yeah. in recent years yeah. by our state government. And yeah. on top of that, there's been like such a small window when they can do hazard reduction burning and they've actually been doing more than ever. Mm. They've been doing their job with yeah. less resources yeah. and they've had they've people that lost their jobs when the funding was cut for their fire teams come in and, going
1: in and volunteering and spending
3: weeks away from their families trying to help because they have this expertise.
1: Yeah. And, and they, they have...
3: know they can help and they want to yeah. help.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's
3: quite heartbreaking to see people level their criticism at people like that who've just given so much of their life.
1: Mm, yeah.
3: Towards um, preserving bushland and they actually know what to do. Mm they have the tools and their knowledge and isn't being drawn on
1: Mm. yeah there's lots to say about that (laughs) (laughs) absolutely but it yeah everyone does have their own opinion and i I respect that but it's good to before i guess before you have an opinion to be knowledgeable absolutely on on all aspects of those things before yeah you criticize or Mm -hmm. i think
0: that there is a lot of misinformation out there and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm somewhere in the middle is always the truth yeah. on two sides of the stories but mm-hmm. I think the, the takeaways and thanks for sharing um, your story there's huge takeaways I think um, as, as um, combining land proper land management around surrounding homes and really keeping yeah, and absolutely. you know keeping on top of that but also for those that live near the bush having that knowledge and almost that experience it's almost like should be courses, yeah. We should all be doing that, you know. Given that they're saying
1: this is our new norm, like, mm. I think definitely um, there's a lot to be learnt from all the layers that have, yeah, like we have seen, let alone some of the fires mm. in the Blue Mountains and places like that, you yeah. know there's a lot of layers there that we all need to learn from Mm -hmm. and we're not over it yet as we know here today and thursday is not looking great there was a spot
3: fire that came up on the fires near me app a kilometer away from our house Mm. last night and i checked it before i went to bed because i think i'm still hypervigilance yeah Yeah. Yeah, i'm definitely not right back yet and talking about hypervigilance i didn't sleep well last night because Mm. i saw it was a kilometer away i'd seen lights when i let our dog outside to go and have a drink of water and I saw lights in the distance and I thought I'll just check the out and see what's going on there and there was a spot fire Mm. by the sounds of it a kilometer away and then I couldn't go to sleep Mm. because I was thinking
1: okay because I'm sure you I know having driven through the fire zone a couple of times over the weekend for for work I um you can see this st- smouldering trees, some with flames still Absolutely. coming out of them yep. and you, you can see the, f- the rural fire service are always up and down, up and down, putting out spot fires and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can see how that would be a concern for you and, and yeah. everyone around you.
3: Yeah, and there is yeah. unburnt bush to the north of us mm. and west of us and the fire front's officially not that far from us still. So. Yeah, mm. and
2: as you said, mine obviously there's a large part of our community residential areas that are still under massive threat mm. unfortunately mm. um the volunteer fire brigade are, are definitely saying come along put your name down mm. um, which a number of us in tabari yeah. have you know that's an interesting story in itself which is probably not the time to go into it but they those guys are, are ready to retire and they're like oh yeah we're, we're holding up the fort here because mm. our generation and and younger um have been busy mm or whatever excuses we've yeah, had. You have so to wonder,
1: like, even here, it feels like this is, like you said, it feels like it's been going on for forever and mm. there's no end in sight at mm. the moment. Um, yep. And you just think, at what point do they start to become yeah, tired? They must be and, so exhausted like exactly. already. And, and not able to make as um, clear decisions, you know, not through their own fault, but just through sheer tiredness. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you, you wonder when that will happen. but um, So... On another note, to get off that, um, I noticed, Naomi, you put a beautiful post up the other day. Um, you've been engaging, is it, with Wild to Free? Yeah. 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 Which we've contacted and we, we're going to do some work with through oh, Treading great. Lightly, actually, but um, we'll talk about that later. But I noticed you – do you want to share that a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, well, I guess um, for us um, who've had the fire come up to our back door and our beautiful playground and forest just decimated by these fires Um, this area that a lot of us access every other day we've been noticing um, displaced populations in our backyards or in some cases not noticing some of the populations that like of kangaroos for example there's often kangaroos in the streets of our village and I haven't seen any Mm. which has been quite distressing and um, just trying to give our kids and ourselves something that we can do to help so there's things that you can do like help donate food or deliver food to fireys Um, but what else can we do on the ground that's practical that can start to give back to our environment and so I um, saw a post by a friend who's in Wires about um, goods being delivered to the area and if you can set up feeding stations that's something positive that you can do and so I said to our youngest um boy um do you want to come and help me and we'll set up because he's been really concerned about the animals too he's a real animal lover let's how about we set up some feeding stations and he was really keen for that so we a neighbor actually neighbors that um quite a few neighbors have gotten involved and gotten 20 kilo bags of feed and we've all been going into the bush along the edge of the burnt areas and just putting up food and water stations and um yeah I haven't seen a a lot of animals around but I did see a huge echidna walk out of the bush the other day towards one of the water stations we'd set up and or maybe it was looking for the food I'm not sure what he was after but it feels like something that we can do to help our wildlife because we've been hearing um, flying foxes Mm. that are always in the area and I was hearing for weeks before the fires but in the last since the fires I've been hearing them a lot more screeching going on and We've been seeing bats around in the middle of the day and times when you know they're not normally around and it's obvious that there's displaced populations yeah. and they're fighting over territory and trying to work out yeah, their new normal. Looking for food, I think. Yeah, and, looking you know. for food. Mm. Yeah, and it's we know the bush is dry, we know there's no water around mm. and we know that a massive area of the national park's just been decimated and so it's just one small thing that mm. we can do to try and help. Which
1: is so important, Um I know, Naomi, you and I have spoken a lot about the mental health aspect yeah. um, of people in these situations and the long term effects. It's not, you know, really looking at the long term effects of this now in, mm-hmm. uh, with people who may have had loss of income and, um, yeah, post traumatic stress, um, yeah. things like that. So it's a really important time to find things like that that we can do to. F- to count, counterbalance that a little bit and, and to really look out for our villages yep. and our people yep. and, and our animals.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. if you've got something that you can channel some of that energy in and some of that, I guess, you know, we feel grief when we look at the bush and see how horribly it's been destroyed. So if we can start to do something that might, you know, make a difference and mm. give our kids and each other something to do that can help.
2: And a bit like the Are You good. Okay campaign with um mental illness just reaching out to to each other mm. and just how how you're doing you know, it mm. might be a text yeah. or a call how are you going mm. you want to talk about it you want to catch up and you know, have a debrief whatever yeah. it might be there's been
3: lots of hugs in the street and in the yeah. village yeah. and outpouring of love
1: <laughs> well i was even um reading some things the other night about that and you know even not just making the call and texting are you okay but like saying i've arranged to pick your kids up tonight they're going to come and hang out at our place you guys go out for dinner or you know yeah. um t- just say i'm dropping dinner around to your place tomorrow night i'll be there at five thirty. just Absolutely. gonna leave it at your door or just you know really proactive things we n- not you you know sometimes when people are, are doing it a little bit tougher and maybe don't necessarily always want to you know Reach answer out. are you okay yeah. so yeah just little acts of kindness and and creating, I guess, in your little villages, moments where you can come together. So I think we're we're looking at doing a few um fluoro Fridays and stuff like that. Just mm-hmm. any excuse That's to get together and
3: Yeah, I've been yeah. talking to friends from the Bush up in Tamil and in Borley about some ideas of what people might want to do and what might work. Mm. so yeah definitely creating spaces for people that might not normally reach out Mm. just to come together Mm. because if you're around other people and you have that opportunity to connect
2: it's really traumatic for the kids as well you know obviously depending on the scenarios but if they're seeing mum you know extremely anxious about potentially you know not having their dad around again or Mm. you know if it's the vision of you know flames even in the distance there's all sorts of uh, yeah Really big emotional impacts that kids um, are potentially going to undergo and, and not be able to communicate clearly. Mm.
3: Yeah, and something else that I was actually just thinking about on the way here is um, just realizing that even if you feel like you're doing okay, that there can be some more subtle um, things that are going on. Like, I know for myself, in the days after <laughs> I was walking around in circles trying to get ready for work one day and just dropping things and feeling a bit scattered and thinking about. Um, I work in mental health and just thinking about what I would say to a client or um, someone that came to see me that had um, seen the fires. And I I looked it up and I saw, you know, some of the symptoms, there's a whole lot of symptoms of trauma, but um, just to realise that you need to be gentle with yourself. And, and, you know, if you're finding that you're a bit... um, stretched or you're not quite coping how you'd normally cope or you're not quite managing to do what you'd normally do that it's okay mm. but maybe to be gentle with yourself or maybe just give yourself a break but maybe to reach out to someone mm. as well
1: because it can't just go help. back to business as normal because no. this is not normal That's you right. know you can't just flick a switch it's either it's not normal so yeah. yeah there is there is no such thing as just yeah well we'll just get on with it because there's a lot to process yeah. yeah a lot of layers like we were saying yeah, and a lot
3: of the sure. time that's in the body mm. you know it's not even something that people can verbalize it mm. might be something that's held in your body mm. Mm. intention
0: i think these events um typically can have the it gives the opportunity for the community to come together so i think it's a, be gotcha. a really good thing for everyone to be diligent and focus on creating more of that and Absolutely. foster more of that community community vibe and
1: like our rain dance the other day. Yes, yeah, more
0: rain dances. <laughs> yeah. Set that intention, everyone. We need that rain. That's going to solve a lot That's of problems, sure. isn't it? <laughs>
2: yeah. Yes.
1: And for the record, <laughs> it did it did drizzle all day. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very, didn't quite join the dots, but it did drizzle. Yeah.
2: More of that. Yeah, yeah and face-to-face that, conversations, absolutely. it just it facilitates that. And we yeah. can gain so much from it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely.
0: I think I've mentioned this book before, but Tribe by Sebastian younger and um, he relates a lot of depression PTSD is just lacking connection mm. and purpose and um, he, one point I do remember that he made his in um, during or right after 9-11 attacks uh, in New York they expected that um, depression and anxiety and that would skyrocket and it actually had the reverse effect because mm. even New York, New York they banded together mm. and everyone felt yeah we're New Yorkers you know that community yeah community and mm. we're there on this purpose let's rebuild mm. and you know yeah um so yeah. it just relates it just it's an interesting connection
3: mm. and storytelling that reminds me of the importance of storytelling with trauma as well it's connection um bridges that but also storytelling because a lot of the time what happens with trauma is the story can be a bit fragmented and you, you feel a bit like everything's fallen apart but if you can piece it back together and have an informal or, or a formal opportunity to tell your story that mm. can make the bridge mm. as well mm. to feeling more whole again and bringing it back together and feeling connected mm. with
1: what happened and, and being able to integrate it with with some of those community events like gives that opportunity Absolutely. for those conversations to arise doesn't it it
2: yeah. does and, and such great positives as much as with been talking about the negative implications and and the fears and you know all that negative stuff which is something we have to talk about there are so many great Mm. positives as you alluded to with the new york scenario dean that can come from this 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 primal urge and community uh, Mm. community gathering getting together and and connecting on on things that actually have real purpose connecting with conversations that are purposeful and meaningful you know it does feel like everything's a little bit more real yeah.
1: and reconnecting back to country
2: absolutely,
1: yeah, absolutely. Realizing suddenly we're part of finally it. feeling like wow we you know this is actually more it's bigger than us
3: yes we can't control this mm. we think we can log and take away from the land but we can't control everything that happens mm. with the land we need to be connected to it yeah and and build our resilience
1: yeah definitely
0: so maybe that can be the new Friday night is um, coming together and wearing fluoro. Yeah. Dancing <laughs> around. Maybe, maybe not a fire, maybe a bowl of water or something. <laughs> and um, storytelling. Yeah. You know, just community, come together, a bit of music. Yeah. You know, I think it,
1: that's a great idea. Yeah. I think we, we alluded to that on Friday when we had the rain dance in the morning. Yeah. We should do more of that. Mm. Yeah, and it's the just such a great right?
0: feeling, you know, just getting together. And for the kids...
1: The kids love it so mm. much.
0: Except yeah. the midges. Oh, that's
1: Narrawally. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Being insect, insect repellent. <laughs> Savage down there early in the morning. <laughs> All right. I think we should um, wrap wrap this up. Thank you so much, guys. Is there anything else you just want to leave with us? Why Some not? solid advice there. Oh, I reckon I probably spoke too much mm. already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But definitely uh, I think we, we, we gather a lot from it and there's um, definitely things and further discussions that can be had and especially in these um, bushland areas that are prone to this kind of devastation that, you know, whether it's looking at building materials of houses and being prepared, having your PPE, um, workshop training for people that live in those, those kind of areas. And, absolutely. Um, mm. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Residence training would be good, yeah, just so, even if you're not okay. a member of the RFS. You know what to do,
1: yeah. because that's something that came up. Yeah. Mm. Or oh, and and if you're prepared to do that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. yeah. Or just yeah, having that education, at least going Absolutely. to that workshop and having that reality talk, where you sit down and say, "This is how bad it can get." You know, are you prepared, or are you going to leave? Exactly.
3: Because so. if you panic in that situation, that's when things get yeah. can go really pear shaped. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm.
0: All right, guys, that was, yeah, it was excellent. Thank you so much for, you sharing for sharing the story. for yeah, I,
1: I was you. I was fortunate to, you know, m- watch and well, be around, not, well, not directly around, but connected with Naomi while all this was going on. So I'm really grateful that you've shared that story because for me it was a real eye-opener and understanding because it was very easy for me to sit back here and just say, just tell Dean to get out. Yeah. But yeah it's a having an understanding of when you're in that moment it doesn't seem that it's not that simple
2: yeah uh, look oh gosh here i go again i'm just gonna have a really quick one <laughs> <laughs> my takeaway is that obviously properties aren't worth saving that they're really not not at the expense of lives but i think with with knowledge and information and a really deep understanding of of how you are in the the worst of it um we can not only save a few inconveniences and assets, but um, you know, potentially um, make a difference to to the bushland and wildlife and and the greater community of people that might not have taken that that message to get out of there as well. So I, I, power to the people. I, I still mm-hmm. do believe that, and I believe basically that all the authority authorities around the the fire um, control are doing an amazing job. And yeah, you know, if we can just continue to support them as much as yeah. we possibly can, that's perfect. Yeah,
3: and yeah. less gratitude to, yeah, to absolutely. the job that yeah. they're doing. It's just incredible.
2: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> great, Thank you. It's Thank, nice. you. Thank you guys so much. Jeez. Love your message and thanks for spreading it.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
2: Thanks, mum
1: Thank you. <laughs> I'm speechless. That was wow. Like that mm. that was a real eye opener that um that session with dean and naomi it was yeah gave me a really different outlook on the whole yeah
0: like a really on the ground account yeah it really puts it into perspective and i guess what i I hope we gather from it is more preparation in in future Mm. and i'm sure coming from this hopefully some things get put into place Mm. um some further training
1: that would be the tragedy of all of this if, if there was learn no anything. learning from it. Yeah. yeah, because there is so much learning to be done from from yeah. this on so like I said on so many layers. Yeah. So,
0: yeah.
1: um, and also you know the other big thing I got from it, having had conversations with Naomi throughout the last couple of weeks as well. She's actually works in mental health, which I think we touched on slightly. But you know, going forward from here, making sure we look after each other. Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah, and just create those uh, community bonds. You know, S- ask how your neighbours going, or offer assistance, and mm. um, yeah, creating those creating those t- those ties, those bonds. Yeah, I think it's important in times like this, and just being of service and support yeah. to others.
1: Yeah, There's something yeah. good has to come from it. That's it. Yeah,
0: it's like a bit like a cleansing. Mm. You can look at it in that way. New beginnings,
1: mm.
0: new things can come and sprout from it. Yeah, yeah?
1: exactly. Mm-hmm yeah
0: awesome alright guys um, yeah if you enjoyed this episode subscribe to the podcast channel and share it with all your friends and even those that maybe have been through the bushfire situation and um, yeah would much appreciate any kind of feedback too yeah it'd be great always alright love you all see ya
2: see ya <laughs>